We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, everybody? Welcome into a Friday, April 21st episode of the OBR Film Breakdown. I'm your host, Jake Burns, joined by John Colosimo here in just a moment. Uh, real quick, I want to remind everybody, stuff going on over at the OBR, Sim- simple stuff leading up to the draft, but uh, I still think w- with the time frame that we have, it's it's really important to, to know, at least to me at this point, if you're a diehard and you listen to a podcast like this one, I've been doing the big board. We just did linebacker yesterday, uh, going over my top five and then a couple sleeper picks at the position, uh, at least getting to know the most realistic. Mine isn't necessarily the most realistic. I'm trying to fit inside those guardrails. We have some stuff going up on our page, including um, you know, some of those uh, players that we think, a, a draft guide that we think of players that are uh, relatively likely, like we put up Sidney Brown, the safety yesterday. We're going through as many of those as we can. I know Jack Duffin's doing some age guardrail uh, stuff, you know, fitting those guys in the big board. We're, we're trying to really narrow this thing down based on their pick parameters and then player performances as well. So hopefully you guys are enjoying that. We're getting close uh, as this podcast finds you. We're just six days out from the round one portion, which stinks to not really be a part of it. We will be live on the OBR Twitch and YouTube for every single pick of the draft. I know I told you that yesterday. I just wanted to remind you, we will be providing some live content for Browns fans with that angle for every single pick. So check that out when the time comes and uh even when you're not picking in round one it's fun to see all the major storylines i will say john the draft down in kansas city would you think kansas city i know i was in vegas last year and that was phenomenal i I think you've been to kansas city several times right is that you think that's going to be a great site for the draft oh uh definitely um no i've had a job in kansas city for the last 18 months so i've been there about once a month uh, for that amount of time. Uh, it actually reminds me a little bit of Cleveland. Um, it's a very similar style city, you know, um, not, you know, overly big, um, Midwestern type people. It's not as South as maybe a lot of people would uh, anticipate. Like nobody that I've run into in Kansas city has a Southern accent, for instance, that there's, something inherently wrong with that or anything, but I just want to like make that a, a point because it's, I'm sure a lot of people would think that you're in the South and it's not quite like that. Awesome barbecue, really cool places. Um, there's some really cool Tremont type sections of Kansas city. And there's also some places you, you wouldn't want to be um, that kind of stuff. But I think it's going to be a fantastic um, setting. Anybody who thought that Cleveland would be a good place for a draft, um, Kansas City probably just a notch higher, uh, just because the um, uh, the barbecue is just for me. It'll raise you just a little bit um, on that angle. So yeah, I think it'll be great and uh, very familiar. I think for anybody from the Cleveland area that would go down there, I think they'll find uh, that it's not too different from home. Love it. All right. Well, that's good to know. It's kind of like I think. There were outside of the, um, you know, females who were down there for their bachelorette party. It seemed like Nashville was a really good spot for the draft um, that, that did well. So I was I'm curious how Kansas City handles it. And it seems like it'll be 
it'll be a pretty good event. So are you going, are you going down there? Oh no, I, I wish I would love to, but uh, no, I can't. These bar- so barbecue is that good in Kansas city. It is. I just want to say that anybody who listens to this and is planning to go down there, if they want to know uh, a couple of good spots, reply to the thread uh, that is this podcast, and I will uh, I will give you a few really nice barbecue spots, not like the Cooking Network uh, ones. Like I, <laughs> I I have flushed out the really good spots to go for barbecue. Uh, so let me know if uh, if you're going down there and you're interested in knowing what those are, and I will give you a rundown. Love it. I know you're in Kentucky right now uh, getting some free time, relative free time. You're working like crazy, but um, some free time to record a podcast. And I, and with that comes some, some movie TV discussion. We haven't done this in a while, and if you are new to this pod, you might not know that John and I have done this for a while, but we've called done what's called like a movie corner or a uh, entertainment corner where we kind of go through things we're watching. What have you been watching lately? angle and uh and and it's always pretty fun i guess me me adding a second child you adding a third it cuts into our ability to put together a good segment in this regard but i think there's enough here to have a good conversation the question is and again if you know us you know we talk about nick cage uh, a little bit on this on this little segment are you going to see renfield is that on the top of your list that many people might not even know about that movie but but yeah give us the rundown on that You, you you seem to be uh, committed to the bit of Nick Cage movies in in uh, in theater now, right? No, absolutely. This is a little Dracula rendition we got coming up here with Renfield. Yeah, first of all, I didn't see it coming at all. Like, I just, on Twitter is where I learned about it. Um, I guess I don't watch a lot of TV, uh, certainly not with commercials and, and whatnot. So it would appear that uh, we have organically... As a family, like I have, I have a lot of brothers. Um, somehow we've like uh, started, I think, a tradition of going to Nick Cage movies. This actually like started with just watching movies, um, you know, when we were doing like Bros Weekends and that kind of stuff. And um, you know, we went and saw the unbearable weight of massive talent, which was a uh, massive. So success it was a lot of fun like everybody was laughing everybody had a good time we brought the wives and girlfriends all that stuff so when i saw renfield i posted a you know a text thread i'm like so we gonna go to this one as a group and uh yeah we're gonna go monday um so i don't know if it's gonna how long it's gonna last and that kind of stuff but i'm gonna ride it um until uh, until it ends so apparently we have a pretty big group at this point, like eight, 10 people. Um, and I think we're, we're going to go to Renfield on, uh, on Monday and maybe for the foreseeable future when Nick Cage releases his crazy movie. So I'm pretty excited about it. We really had a good time on the last one. So I haven't, I haven't even watched it. Honestly, I've only watched soundless videos of the previews on Twitter. And I, like, his facial I have, expressions are meant to play Dracula in this correct. way that he's doing. Oh, <laughs> it's so funny. It's perfect. Um, I, I have always hated previews because, uh, I, you know, I think I had like a real bad rash in the nineties or whatever, where they would, they would preview all the funniest parts of a movie and then you would go see it and there would be nothing more than what you already saw in the preview. That was actually hilarious. And so now I like, I have an aversion toward watching previews of anything sometimes like i'll watch like 15 seconds of a preview and if i if i know i'm already interested i'll click off of it <laughs> you know? like it. Uh, so um yeah we're gonna have a good time uh that'll be monday and again a rare treat with three kids so we're gonna have a good time with it i i will say to your preview point there are some movies where you will see the preview and I'm like, I just watched the entire movie. Like, I feel like I know everything that's going to happen. I think that Marvel did a good job of fighting that for a while uh, where they, they did a good job of like averting from the major stuff, even adding like deleted stuff. I thought they put that in there, which was good. But yeah, to the most, to most movies that are just like what most movies are doing is just, they don't really care, right? Like they don't care that they do that because they just want to get you in the theater. Like they, they, they could care less about that because then they get your ticket right and that's kind of a 
it's kind of a crummy thing, but it's it's a it's a product of just it's just a product of the system. But there are some I saw a couple movies in theater last week where I'm like, I, I think I just saw the entire movie. For that <laughs> yeah, one. I'm not going to spoil that for anybody. But um, well, recently I saw two movies that I think are worth your time if they're if they're your angle. Um, Creed three. If you followed the Creed movies, um, the Creed three was really good. I enjoyed it. I know that some stuff here has come out recently on Jonathan Majors, which it's not helping the Creed three experience for some people, but uh, it was extremely good in theater. It didn't have Stallone in it. And I didn't know this. Maybe, maybe you did, but Stallone having come up with Rocky and the characters and all that, he didn't, he doesn't actually own the rights to those characters. I didn't know that. No, so like, I didn't know that. I mean, yeah, like he, he made to, a... Was a director or someone uh, at the time he sold him off to just to, Huh. Uh, rights to it just to make some money so like he wasn't in this one like he well he i know like involved. he he demanded and like had to force his way into the first rocky um so that that's surprising that that may have been the concession that he made to star in the original film because um i know that he waged a a, a minor war uh kind of in the same sense that uh ben affleck and uh, and uh, Matt Good Damon did for yeah. Good Will Hunting, right? Yeah. Um, he, you know, he wrote the original script for Rocky One, which, by the way, I think the original script had him throwing the fight for money. Um, but so I knew that part, right? So it might have been that. That's an interesting point, though. I didn't know what you just said. And uh, I'm wondering if that was the concession that he ended up making so that he could star in the original Rocky. Yeah, I'm not I'm not totally sure on that. I I, I like looked into why he wasn't in it, because I found that to be pretty strange. Why after the first two Creed movies, like he would just be absent from this one, which has a lot of really big decisions to be made. And maybe I missed it when I, someone can check me on this. If uh, first of all, the point that we just made about why he doesn't have more say in the movies I, I i don't know i think i remembered reading that he'd sold the rights to them um without like i just think he wanted to make some money off of it as an early actor and didn't have this idea that it would turn into like the fast series that it is now where it's like nine movies deep <laughs> so um which by and the way the fast series i see is closing shop they're doing one more movie after this one i think and then they're, they're and he could down. say what you want about him selling those rights early but if he didn't star in that movie that he wrote, um, where would he have been, you know, in terms of all the movies he's been in since. So um, it's an interesting, I would be interested to know how the dynamics went out, but if he, if he didn't demand that he starred in the original Rocky, um, I don't know if he would have done Rambo. I don't know if he would have done, uh, a ton of these other movies. It's a huge what if, right? Yeah, yeah. A really huge what if. But anyway, he said in this one, when I read some interviews, he said that the script got a little too depressing or too dark, that he didn't think it was like like life is already as hard as it is, and he didn't didn't want to do a movie that was this, uh, I guess, uh, from, a, from a perspective of like a character and where they're at and where the other people are in it, like a, a, a too dark of a feel to it. So said regular life is already hard enough as it is. I didn't think it was that bad, but that's why he wasn't in it. But that's the only missing piece because otherwise it's a really good flick. So I saw that one and then I saw Air, which I think I've been vocal on this pod about, you know, back to Damon Affleck. Like that, that movie was, that movie had no business being as good as it was. And it was, and it was a ton of fun. Like, like it was, it was really, really fun to relive uh, a little bit. I mean, as far, I'm a big sucker for time period pieces in movies. And boy, it puts you right in. I wasn't alive in the mid '80s, but I have to imagine they did every single detail <laughs> about as perfectly as you can do it, and in a funny way uh, about the industry and shoes and everything that go. It was really, really good. So it's a movie you don't need to see in theater because it doesn't have the wow factor of the big screen and all that. But it was still neat to have it right. And they did a movie where Michael Jordan is present, but you never really see him but you feel like the guy that they, whoever they cast to sort of be young, Michael walking in and out of meetings is like the perfect casting. It, it was, it was awesome, man. And I, I would suggest for everybody to go watch that one uh, if you get the time, because it's, it was, it was really good. That was really good. But that's the only, those are the only movies I've seen. I've been invited to the wick, the uh, fourth wick movie by some people, but I've never, I, I started the first wick movie and it's weird because what's the name of the flick you had me watch with, with our, with our guy, 
Um, yeah. Uh, uh, nobody. Nobody. Yeah. Which was good. I enjoyed it. It was just a really good standalone hide family man hiding in plain sight um, type of movie. Not that John Wick is like a step by step of that, clearly, but I don't right. know, I really would enjoy the John Wick stuff. Same, but, same director. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, is it? Yeah, it is. Okay. Well, yeah, I'd probably enjoy the John Wick. I've just, I don't know why I've never got into it. I don't know. Well, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe it says something about me as like a Keanu Reeves connoisseur. I don't know. I should I should watch those, but I never I, have. You know, I, we just my wife and I we ran through. We had a couple of good weekend nights, um, and uh, we're able to just stay up and watch some movies. So we ran through the John Wick ones. They're a lot of fun. Not a lot of fun to watch in you know in consecutive you know sessions because it. It's very repetitive. (laughs) It's repetitive, you know? Like, I mean, how many headshots can you watch? You know, one of the great things about Nobody, like why why I compare those is, A, it's the same director. B, um, you know, he gets his butt kicked too. uh, And they have a fantastic musical score, which the John Wicks movies don't, don't really have. Now, they're a lot of fun. I'm just saying... I don't think I would suggest anybody to watch John Wick one, two, and three in a row because you will get bored out of your skull. Now, I'm I'm excited to watch the fourth one. I'm definitely going to watch it, but again, like it would be nice if they developed a, a little bit of uh, things besides John Wick just delivering headshots. Um, you know, which is it's a lot of fun, but like I said, if you watch them in any kind of uh, you know, if you watch them consecutively, it's not so fun. <laughs> not but so I'm definitely going to watch this. All right. Yeah. Well, I, I maybe I'll get into that. Next time we connect, I'll have some Wick movies under my belt. I don't know. We'll see. I'm not promising anything. To your point, the uh, repetitiveness of some of the killing stuff does. Okay. Can he make that many straight headshots in a row? Like that that stuff does start to start to become a little bit uh and i'm all about gullibility in movies i mean i can handle a yes. lot of belief oh belief i can do some stuff. self yeah i can lie to myself <laughs> on a good movie you know if you got a good story i'll absolutely roll with it <laughs> to the point now about you know buying into movies or shows or whatever i don't know are you doing any shows right now it's a it's a real sweet spot for tv right now it is um you know a lot, a lot of things. So there's like the Mandalorians out, which they're doing a really weird season of, of, I don't know where they're at. They did, they did obviously the Boba Fett season. And then they had some, some stellar uh, appearances uh, from some different directors and stuff in the last season. And this one is just sort of felt like it's, it's falling flat to me a little bit. And then they're like bringing in some really random supporting actors. Like I told you, I don't know if I told you or not, but, like they had Jack Black in the the episode before this one. I know that they have since released the finale. They had like Jack Black and Lizzo as a married couple, and I'm like, I mean, I can take again. I can stretch my imagination really far with a lot of this stuff, but at some point, it's almost too distracting. When you have Lizzo, <laughs> Jack Black, and Christopher Lloyd all in the same episode of a show, I have a hard time being like, ah, yeah, Star Wars, yeah, I'm in. Like my mind doesn't, it stops working that way after a while. If that makes yeah. any sense, I, it was just too much. It's too much. Yeah, I think uh, when you can reach back to where uh, Bill Burr was in an episode in uh, season two, but he was singular, you know, yeah. and it was it was fun. Um, and I've heard a lot of the same things, but I haven't watched it yet. I just haven't had the time. Um, but I've heard all the same things that you're saying from a lot of other people. I'm going to watch it. But uh, my bar may be lower than most people's when I do get into it. So I may like it a little more. Uh, I may agree with everything that I've heard. I'm not sure. It's not It's not bad. It's It's certainly still very, very watchable. And the, the storylines are fine. It's just like uh, I thought that they really put themselves in a, at a high standard with some of the stuff they've done. It's not Andor good, which was some of the best Star Wars I've ever seen. And I really hope they keep going down that path. But it was it was it was good. But like, there's just too many distractions to what should be a show that is built on like anonymity, right? Like, yeah, I don't know, kind of, kind of, kind of interesting in that regard. So, 
uh, watch that. I've watched uh, what's the show called Dave, which is a little dicky show on FX. We love it. It's hilarious. It's out there at times, but that's a good one. If you, I don't think I wouldn't presume you just consume that, but Dave is enjoyable. Another show that, like I said, air has no business being as good as it is a story about a white rapper named little Dicky has no business at times. They've put together some remarkable episodes that have been like, what, what it like that was unreal. Good. So that's a show uh, that we watch that has been a pleasant surprise. Uh, otherwise succession has been succession. I don't know if you guys got into succession or not, but that, that has been, um, I, I would put it up against some of my favorite television I've ever consumed. Uh, I would put it up there with, um, you know, breaking bad. I, I haven't fully done the wire yet and I haven't done the Sopranos, so I don't have a great, some of the best television ever made, but that stuff is, is so well done and it's well, I don't know. Are you guys into succession? Or are you not? Cause to me, it's, it's just been phenomenal up against right. expectations. So, um, again, the, I don't understand our time constraints, but I am going to air an unpopular opinion, I think on this. Um, so we, there was a point um, in succession where it just like hit me the wrong way and I uh, bounced on it. That was basically, uh, I think like the, the episode before the previous finale, we just picked it back up. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm saying like two days ago we did. And so we finished the season and then we started and we ran out of time about halfway through the first episode of the new season and i don't know man uh, has it lost you it hasn't lost me but i was wondering like where the like right like where was the punch of the uh season finale of the week like the dick pic that was the you know that was the big punch for the season finale the you know, the season before. And then we got about halfway through right now. I can tell you literally we're like halfway through the conversation between uh, Logan Roy and um, uh, what's the guy's name from is uh, from the other Showtime series. Uh, it's the, the other media company that are trying to merge with, but he was also a vampire in, I forget what, other is it um, one of the scars guards is that it i could be wrong uh, on that i can't, no, I can't remember. it was like snooky like uh it was a very popular vampire series like from five years ago is where uh, i know him from he was the eric in that series anyway they're halfway through that conversation uh and we had to go to bed or whatever and i'm wondering like look i i don't know that i've been through a massive series that did a finale and an opener. Granted, we're halfway through that opener. Um, that I, I don't know. I I'm not quite getting it. Like what? You think about like Game of Thrones um, series enders or uh, season enders, right? What was the what was the point of well? I don't know. I'm just thinking it lacked a little pizzazz compared to what I'm hearing from people. Everybody is saying exactly what you are, that um, this thing is rising to the level of the Breaking Bads, the Ozarks, the, you know, the Game of Thrones, the, that kind of level, the Sopranos. Um, I didn't see it in that finale. I mean, I know that uh, McCulkin <laughs> sends a dick pic to his dad. It's funny. And there was a meme that came out of it that is everywhere. I'm not sure that rises to the level of like Rob Stark getting killed, you know, in Game of Thrones or something like that, or I don't know. Um, So what I'm saying is that I'm back into it. I'm going to watch, but I watched what I thought would have been like some of the best stuff in a season finale and a season opener, not quite seeing it yet. Um, So yeah, the way the way this last season ended, um, which which sort of uh, you know had the kids finally together in a spot to overthrow their dad, and then Shiv's husband sells them out to essentially create some leverage uh, and create a way to keep them around. And then this season, um, I'll admit a lot of succession has run together, and there are times where they are 
going through things as a family or they're going through different uh, proposition. Like it's some of the stuff can be over your head. Like it just the way the language they use. And I, I don't think it's hard to get lost a little bit in the business lingo of the whole thing. Right. It's funny because, you know, who they're portraying and what the company that they're portraying is going through, ironically, <laughs> right now with the Dominion situation is, uh, is, oh, yeah. is a bit of a parallel. But um, pretty good thing. yeah, yeah. Well, the four. But listen, this season picks up and they're ending it. They're, they're, they're doing the right thing. They can milk this thing out for like I thought Game of Thrones on the opposite end of this, where there was a ton of story to tell. Uh, and they just decided the people were burnt out on it, acting in it and everything. And they just decided to wrap the whole thing up and will probably wanted to be the most regrettable decisions yeah. in tv history because there Fair was enough. so much meat left on the bone this one doesn't feel that way like this one feels like they could drag it out and probably get a couple more seasons out of it but they're doing to me like you're to your point there's not there's just not a ton to keep going through here between a, a, you know kids that are trying to power play their father like that that's the angle here right and it's like right. they can only you can only really run that out for so long and the, and the ending this on this season has been i think it puts the pressure on the season for things to happen, which things have really happened. Um, have they commended it? That? Ends a show. It ends a show really well that need that needs to have an ending that is not too soon, but just right. And I think they're doing that right. What'd you say? They committed to that. They did. Yeah, this is the final season of the show. Okay. So, All right. Yeah. That definitely uh, changes my view. Okay. Yeah. Yep. So it ends, it, I mean, there's a lot of that's like full court press right now. It's there's okay. a lot going on early in the season, so I would say worth your time, but. I don't know. I'm trying to think of if we're watching anything else right now. Oh, I mean, Ted Lasso's out. If that's if that's your cup, yeah, definitely watch Ted Lasso. Um, enjoying that a bit. Um, you and I had talked a little bit about like on on Twitter about this. I I don't. I I feel like they're treading water in a way. Yeah. Like I don't know what they're doing, man. I I think they're they they're really reaching their peak in terms of of content angle, like where they're taking this. They took Nate to a spot that I didn't think was necessary. Agreed. So now they're, now they're running into this weird pickle of of trying to turn Nate back to somebody that you can like, but they're running out of angles here. And then, like, they, they had, spoiler alert, if you haven't been watching the Zava character, which I have to imagine is, like, um, who who are you comparing him to? I, I would think people would think we're not, but it's got to be, um, who's the other fellow that he kind of looks like him? Ibrahimovic, is that who it is? I can't remember the other yeah. golfer. Uh, sorry, golfer. Uh, the other uh, soccer <laughs> player who, yeah, because um, is, is, isn't his name like Zlatan? I'm not. A, I'm not a. a it's similar. It's, if you're, it's, if it's you're one of the people that are overseas listening to this, there are a lot of people that are. I'm sorry. I'm. I want. Yep. I'm. I should be better. <laughs> but this is my time is so divided right now. But I, I have to feel like that's who they're talking about because he has a little bit of a history of jumping clubs. I thought. He's, um, you know, for American viewers, he's almost like a Aaron Rodgers, you know? Yeah, well, he's got the vibe. That's yes, for damn sure. Definitely got that vibe. Um, um, yeah, I, I, I don't know, man. I feel like they're just sort of like, we've got these great characters. We don't know what to do with them. Like, I don't know if Ted's, I get the vibes that Ted just wants to go home. So maybe that's what it ends up being. He just quits after this season or something. I don't know where it's going, man, but I'm, I'm like to your point about succession, like, are you guys going to get on with something here? Cause it's a little bit confusing right now. Uh, what I'm asking for, if, uh, if they're going to end it this season is that they should win it all. A and uh, B that uh, the owner should end up with uh, what's his name. Um, the, the player. Uh, yes. I can't think of his name either. Yeah, uh, I could see the face, but I can't think of the name either. That's interesting because they have not even touched that angle. I know. You know? They, they, uh, yes, but it's there, you know, and I, I don't know if they're going to grab onto it. Um, I don't know if uh, like I don't know why you wouldn't revisit it. It seemed like a good good line uh, in terms of story, especially with, you know, how she's dealing with her husband and that kind of stuff. But I don't know. Like that's that's my satisfying ending. They win it all. And she ends up with with dude. And well, uh, wasn't she like doing a dating app where she was talking to Ted for a while? Am I losing yeah. my mind on that? No, no, there was that, uh, but I think that died pretty quick. So I don't think there's any like Ted and her thing. Um, but I know what you're talking about. 
Um, I thought I thought they could be treading to that point at some at something, but they've I don't know I where they're going for with that. I actually thought that too. I I, yeah. I don't think that's where it's trending, but I don't know. I don't know where this ends, but like I hope there's like a you know everything doesn't have a dangerous to end spot. With like a happy ending, but like they have to win this year, right? They gotta win. I, I thought that this show would be the one to end with a happy ending. They're, they've this whole yeah. thing for them has been sort of built toward the yes. feel good, right? You know, yeah. exploring the negative, but the feel good like show has always been this one. Like I thought that personally, I thought that Succession would be the one where they would just not do any of the fanfare and just end it in a, a very like abrupt like way, a, like an even more dark, less people to root for Ozark. Yeah. Yeah, and, and which, by the way, it took me a long time to get through Ozark. Like I took my sweet love and time getting through Ozark's ending because, you know, it got to the point where there was just zero people to root for. Um, and, How far can you push what your kids would just accept? That's a question for Ozark, right? Uh, it's it's a tough one. It's a tough one to be like, A, that you would ever get to the point where you feel comfortable enough to like, to like, we just need to disappear. It's like fall off the face <laughs> of the earth somehow, but they just keep chugging along in an amazing manner. That show is good because Bateman is, is Bateman's guy. Oh, he's amazing. Know, just how he handles yeah. that kind of chaotic but shit. But it's not, like at times, it's, it's brutal to watch. Yeah. You know what I mean? I do. Anyway. I do. Yeah, that's it. That's all the movies we got. I, the only, I continue to tell uh, my wife, the only movie, we saw Mario, uh, which I should have noted with my son. If you're, if you have, he's five, he's very into movies now, but he's been going for like a year. We've done quite a few movies. This is, uh, Mario's the perfect one. I told John with, uh, your oldest is four at this point, I think, right? Uh, in May, in May here in coming May. up. That's right. Yeah. So this is the perfect, if you're doing an introduction movie or anything like this, I mean, it's like an hour and 15 minutes and it's nonstop action. Like, I don't think my son blinked once. And we've been listening to the Super Mario Brothers soundtrack, which includes some fantastic, like Beastie Boys, ACDC, some original Mario rap, like some Weezers in it. It is, he's wanted it every single day on the way to school, which is fun for me because it's good music. So um, he talks about it nonstop, bought a Mario lamp for his room. Like he's playing Mario on his Switch. He's, he's all about it. I've been amping up my, uh, my kid. I've been playing a little bit of Switch around him. He mm-hmm. likes that. Um, we have plans this Saturday to go to Mario, and I think it's going to go well. Yeah, dude. I'm pumped for you. I look forward to hearing how it goes because I, I thought that movie was perfect. And again, like Jack Black is Bowser. It it didn't it doesn't get any better. Like he's the perfect, perfect. I character. love Jack Black. I I love Jack Black. Everything about him, except for appearances in Star Wars, which I thought he was fine, but I can't handle him and so many others. It messed with me. Okay, it messed with me. That's fair. Anyway, okay, so we're gonna switch. We're gonna take a break, and then we're gonna actually talk about some Browns. We're half hour into this thing, so, and then we'll be right back and talk about some things building up into six days away from the NFL draft. Believe it or not, so we'll be right back. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger. Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.
So, John, you sent me over an article which I thought was pretty interesting uh, from Sportsbook Review, which you enlightened me on some of the, the quality work that they have done um, in the sports gambling field uh, before it became legal in terms of where to put your money and things like that. Uh, <laughs> the most pessimistic and optimistic fan base is going into the draft. And the Browns are at the bottom, right? 31st, which is a bit interesting. Their only team that's behind them with less optimism is the Raiders. The Commanders are in front of them at 30th, Broncos at 29, Texans at 28. Interestingly, the Vikings, who have had plenty of winning, they're they're at 27. Um, Falcons 26, Bucks 25, post-Tom Brady, understandable. 24 is the Titans. That's another interesting one to not be optimistic, considering they've had some decent success in recent years. And then the most the others are Dolphins. Again, that's a that's a fan base that's been beat down for a little while. The Rams are now on the, the huge downslide at 22 of, of their Super Bowl peak. Um, 31st for the Browns. Is it? I'll get your reaction, then I'll, I'll share mine. What, what, when you see that number, what, what comes to mind? Well, I think it makes sense uh, in the sense that, uh, you know, they surveyed a few thousand people. And, uh, you know, the people that I run into, uh, especially if they found out that I do a podcast or uh, do some articles or that kind of stuff, um, will talk to me. But the the general feel is terrible. And uh, that's from 20 years of PTSD. The couple of times, I'll say what we got, uh, 2010. Is that the Derek Richardson season? Yeah, uh, which seat? Which, say that again. Oh, wait. Uh, Derek Anderson? That was 07. The oh, 07. All right. So we had like two major like up points in the last 20 years. Right. And it's after that season. And then after 2020. Right. Yeah. So, um, the couple I would say times- there was some misguided optimism around the 2014 season, uh, going oh. into 15. Oh, we um, have an epic, we have epic optimism just in general, you know, over the, over the years. But the, the times that crashed into the mountain were after that year and after 2020. And so um, I think that uh, when I talk to people now, they just can't see any light at the end of the tunnel. Even though, in my mind, this roster is very close and they've done all the right things um, this offseason to correct those things, but it doesn't land. So... You know, in a survey like this, in this particular year, being very close to the bottom makes a lot of sense to me as, as far as what I see from general fans. Whether, like, it's interesting that the article is from um, Sportsbook Review. Cause so they're looking at things from a sense of, uh, you know, where the market is. Is there something to exploit? in terms of uh, that general, you know, negative attitude toward the Browns? Maybe, but um, I'm not sure that affects the market as a whole like it does our fan base. So all I know is that, like, just about every fan I talk to has an extremely negative view of, of where things are going, which is pretty wild because I have a very – positive outlook on, uh, you know, what the Browns have done, uh, what they did to uh, shore up some holes, where I think we're going this year, uh, where I think Deshaun Watson will be as a quarterback this year. Um, So I have a very divergent view from most every Browns fan I run into. I don't know what your experience has been, Jake. It's mostly pity um, when I talk to people anymore. I mean, I think this is largely tied to if you did this survey after Kevin's first year, the playoff year in 20, like you pointed to, there's probably top 10 optimism around the team. And then like, you, and I know you just noted that, but like, yeah, they're, they're going back in a weird way. Now it's like, okay, they made this trade for the quarterback who was supposed to bring optimism with him. And I think to an extent he did, but, then you mix on like the end of the year, they go three and seven to start the year, kind of climb back to a spot that they can maybe do something with it. And then 
Deshaun doesn't play very well on top of all the things that come with your organization trading for him, which is a lot, you know, yes. to deal with. Yeah. So I do think that there's a level of like, I, to your point, I, I look at this roster as well and I'm like, this is pretty good. Like they should be pretty good. Like the expe- expectation here is to be pretty damn good. Now, if that doesn't happen, there are going to be a lot of unfortunately uncomfortable conversations looming uh, about where they go next again. But like, I think that they're in a pretty good spot. This to me feels more like worn down from going from the almost lovable losers to hated by most people around the league because of the quarterback trade they made, all that came with that, and then having another slow season last year. Yeah, he waited 11 games to watch a quarterback who played like, surprise, a quarterback who hadn't played in two years. Yeah. And so now totally like agree. there's a huge portion of Brown's fandom that thinks that that's who he is. And it, like again, like I'm not sitting here defending you know the move to go get him. I'm I'm just talking about where we're at right now. And let me tell you like if you didn't see the flashes of what could be, I don't know what to tell you. I mean, you know, and to make the move, you go get Elijah Moore. Um you shore up the uh, defensive interior. Uh, you know, if you can't see optimism in that, and I understand what it, all I can attribute that to is 20 years of PTSD. Yeah. I think it's, I think they're in a huge show me. Like people are just in this, I'm tired. Like you pointed out the 20, um, you know, 2020 season. I would say that optimism had not been more high than after Baker's rookie year 2018 into that 2019 season where they open with the Titans. I, I don't, again, I really don't think that there has been a more optimistic fan base than that trade. The confidence that came with trading for Odell. You're probably right. And the way they open that season. I just think they've been let down in, in, in the, in the seasons of, of real hope. They've been let down, and I just think that – and I don't think it's wrong. I think they're very much in like a show me, and I am too. I mean, I'm tired of getting up and down about this organization. Right? I I'm am. just as even-keeled as I've ever been about them, and I'm very much in like, yeah, I see it. you got a bunch of good pieces. You've done a bunch of smart things, but unfortunately doing a bunch of smart things doesn't always lead to success in this in this industry, and that's tough. That's a tough part of it, so I'm like – I really do believe that Andrew and Kevin are the right guys for this whole operation. And I, and I also know in the back of my mind, I keep telling myself like these guys could also be fired at the end of this year because things might not go right. And, and like that to me is really depressing because if these guys aren't it, who is like, who, who really is And that, that part of it sucks, man. Like that part of it sucks and gives me a very, like sit back and watch it and just react to the news feel about this thing, because that's just sort of where they've, they've put you by virtue of expectations, just not getting met. So yeah, I don't, I don't know if that answered any of that that stuff, but uh, I'm not surprised at all to see them. I'm surprised the Raiders are so low. I thought a lot of that fan base wanted to come off Derek Carr, but maybe I'm wrong about that, but. Yeah, it is a little surprising. It is. Um, there's one more Browns topic we wanted to hit on before we go, and that's Perry on Winfrey, which is, again, it's a tough conversation to have, uh, uh, you know, because it's a, it's there's a lot to come out about that whole situation. He was in Cleveland this past week for the for the first phase here of offseason activities. And, you know, what got me thinking was a lot of people are just like, cut him. <laughs> that's their immediate reaction. Cut him. And. You know, I get that. I certainly understand the angle. You know, what what's being reported is pretty rough, right? I get it. People make mistakes. Um, some people don't ever want to see that. Um, I try to understand that. I, I just think that what I find myself questioning is, like, okay, these players that are out there and they make mistakes and the Browns try to do whatever, right? Maybe it's punishing a guy for anything. Does it start to become, like, tricky for them to punish their players given, like, they paid Deshaun Watson that kind of money. Like, I, I mean, again, Deshaun was never proven of anything. I'm not trying to do that here. But I think the NFL has put their statement out pretty point blank, which is that they think he did 
something, right? Like they think he did something uh, without reasonable doubt that gives them suspicion. So I'm just like, I'm curious from the angle of, of player, do, 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 do some of their players who are a, you know, maybe late to meetings, um, whatever, whatever. And I know that like, there was some, some buzz about that game. Miles Garrett didn't start, right? We never really found out what happened there, but he didn't start. And it's like, I, I just wonder, is there a level of feet? Like, do guys have any issue with discipline in the organization? And when that whole situation comes up, is it like some guys are, Hey man, we saw what you gave the quarterback. Like, what are you going to do? You know, like, I guess I'm wondering, like it does that situation with Watson, what they gave him, the NFL suspension, everything around it. Does, does that deter players from following like rules the way they should not that they could control what Perry on Winfrey did, and I'm not trying to create some narrative here or anything. I am just wondering, like, do guys kind of chuckle at, oh, you're going to punish me, but you gave out that contract to this guy for doing this thing while maybe I was just late to a team, a position meeting, right, or something like that. You know, do you get what I'm saying? I, I worry about that. I Not worry, but I just wonder about how that gets handled internally from some like Clowney, like Clowney having no fear in what he said there. And I know he was out the door. And some of that stuff is is obvious too, but I just wonder if there's a whole level of I don't give a shit because this is what they did, and ultimately they are never going to be able to hold players accountable for things, right? I I don't know. I, I, is there? You can laugh at me, you can brush it off, but I think it's an it's at least something to to think about uh, with, with with the way team discipline would go for this organization because I think there's some people that believe the locker room has been lost at times under Stefanski, and especially last year that was a really big narrative. Well, yeah, and even in the year before that, um, I think that's a fair question. Now, um, I would unfairly compare this to uh, raising my kids. Um, I think that I think a lot of these players are used to dealing with special treatment one way or the other, mm -hmm. uh, you know, four star players. And uh, so I don't think that kind of thing, uh, the unequal treatment is actually as much as anybody would want to make it to be. Um, because I think that a lot of these guys have been dealing with that their whole lives. You know, um, you know, the star players on their high school team or that kind of thing. I, I at least in my experience, uh, that's something that happens early on. And uh, it's not something that would be like a shock once you get to the NFL. Um, I'm not saying it's right. I'm just, you know, explaining my view on, on how that goes. Okay. So I don't know. Uh, you know, when, when it deals with a, a person like Winfrey, I mean, obviously, like, guaranteed dollars play into it. Um, risk assessment, you know, from the team comes into it, you know, which obviously, like, goes into drafting a player like Perry and Winfrey because there's a lot of people that would tell you that he would have been drafted in the second or first round um, if not for – these types of risk assessments. So um, I think it's kind of parting uh, is part of the coming of age as a player to recognize these types of what they call business decisions, you know, when these things happen. And you know that I think most of these players know when you're uh, expendable or when you're somebody that they'll bend the rules for. And so I don't know, like locker room wise, I mean, it, I, I think then it gets into the winning heals everything type thing. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Winning, winning is the thing. Yeah. yeah it always right. Is. You know it's what I mean? Like, so that's, that's kind of where I come down to, you know, like, um, you know, you, if you want to get granular about, these types of things. I, I think it comes down to the silly things like if, are you winning? Are you not winning? Uh, and the, I don't know for a guy like Perry and Winfrey, I don't think he has a lot of rope, you know, um, to, 
to deal with those types of things. That you know, I, he wasn't a first round draft pick. He had problems coming in, um, and I do think that there's a very big difference between Miles getting you know disciplined and a guy like Winfrey getting disciplined. So it'll be interesting to see how the team deals with that going forward. I don't think that Andrew Barry runs a ship that is a free-for-all. I think that they, between him and Kevin, send uh, pretty clear messages in terms of expectations. And, uh, again, like it's a small sample size when it comes to the NFL. Uh, but off the cuff, I do trust Kevin and A.B., to cut bait on guys that they don't think are getting the message. So we'll see. Yeah. I just, I wonder about the the complex of accountability there where it's like, I feel like they've been dealing with that though, since high school. So I don't yeah, know. I, I do point. too. It's not something that Cleveland can ultimately just fix, right? It doesn't just get fixed because a guy gets paid. Some guys it does because, Oh, these checks go into my bank account, right? Like that, that does happen for some guys, but Others, their history is their history, and that started that started somewhere. I just worry about the complex of accountability where it's like, you know, this this team is under public scrutiny all the time right now, and they went out and added a layer of this that is that is tricky. And it's just Watson. you know, our guys Watson. understand Watson is know? what makes it tricky. Nothing yeah, makes it, it, it tricky except for Watson. Watson is like the poster boy for what makes this tricky tricky in my opinion right like you have a guy that's accused of being a sex pest whatever i'm, I'm not trying to get into that here i'm just no. you know like but that's in my opinion the basis you have a guy like malik Mival, who has um, a history of a lot of things um and you bring him in on a non-guaranteed contract and that kind of stuff that that kind of stuff like makes sense to the players right you it makes it a little more complicated when you're talking about a, you know, $50 million a year guaranteed contract for a quarterback, that kind of stuff. So all I'm saying is like, uh, and I don't think it's that much different than what you're dealing with in a crazy dynamic at a high school where you have a wildly talented player and they'll do anything to keep him on the field. So I don't think it's like some kind of crazy shock for some other teammates to see that kind of favoritism. Um, so yeah. that's all I'm saying. It's just an accumulation effect of like, okay, also Kareem Hunt, which was very, very public in the NFL's eye too, where, hey, th- they're they're going to take care of me no matter what I do. True, but uh, it wasn't I, repetitive, right? No, 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 no. And I, I agree. I just think that everything sort of adds up at some point. And that wasn't even Barry. Oh. That was a Dorsey move, yeah. right? Right. So, but I think I think AB extended him. He did. He did. They kept him. They kept him around. So it's like again, I'm not trying to create something that's out of thin air here. I'm just wondering, you know, is there a level of accountability that that, that can sometimes evade if guys just know that even if I screw up, right? No matter what I sort of do here within reason, I can still find a way to keep myself around here if I'm good enough. I just I wonder that. And does that trickle down into how hard you practice or? Uh, what you say to the media after the game or, or anything. I, I just, I think there's, That's again, you, you win, That's, you win and none of this stuff ever comes up. I mean, very rarely, but you know, when the rubber meets the road and, and you're seven and seven and you got to win some games and you want to pass the blame. Like I was listening to, it was so fascinating listening to um, Jason Kelsey was on with Ryan Rosillo, which I love Rosillo's podcast, not for everybody, but it's one of the few I religiously listen to. And he was talking about how the Eagles have done a great job of keeping sort of veteran guys around um, through transition phases, right? Through uh, whatever, right? There's a bunch of trans. I mean, the Eagles aren't a beacon of perfection. They went from Todd, you know, went from Peterson, Doug Peterson to Sirianni, like, but he's talking about how they've done such a good job of going between these plays, jumping around, but still having veterans who hold guys to a certain level of accountability within reason. And he talked about how like the losing is when this gets really tricky, right? Because everybody wants to be, wants to avoid being the reason everyone's losing. 
Like that's the thing. Everybody wants to avoid that. You do whatever you can to avoid that. But like, I think the Eagles are, are a pretty interesting study. And like, yeah, they've done that. They've kept guys around. Now, Joel Batonio has done that, right? But uh, there have been some guys now, Miles. Some of these guys are getting longer tenured. I get that, you know, um, you know, as you jump between some of these, these uh, um, you know, regimes over time. But, but I just think that like there's a level of veterans who learned from other veterans the right way to do things and then, and then providing that to guys they bring in. You know what I mean? And I worry I do. about, do they have that? Do I do. And like in retrospect, this is exactly the area that I would criticize how the Browns did that teardown with Sashi and, you know, the initial teardown. This would be one of the main criticisms that I would have is that there wasn't that kind of respect for having professional players, veterans that could show mm-hmm. these young guys what to do. So, yes, I think that's valid. It's just an interesting way to look at team building uh, when 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 breaking down sort of where the Browns are, where they're going, and, and some of the stuff around how they've put this together. Because, you know, again, the Browns could do nothing to stop what happened with, with Perry on Winfrey, but how they react to it and what comes of it, like what level of accountability can you have when, you know, Hey man, I know what you guys did for Watson, <laughs> and I know I'm not Watson. There's dirt. There's there, these guys should know better than anyone. There's different standards for different player, <laughs> you know, uh, values, right, or whatever you want to call it. They've always been the star. They're maybe not the star anymore, um, but they've always been the star wherever they have been in their young careers. So I just I just worry about some of that sometimes with like feeling like around the NFL that the Browns cutting this guy because of this situation when they did this for Watson or did this for Hunt or whatever is just a joke. You know what I, you get what I'm saying there? I do. Um, I actually think that uh, cutting OBJ was one of those types of instances that, I mean, yeah. gets brushed over. I think, I think that they're doing some things to try to help try to improve their vision of, of what people think of them around the league in terms of players, right? Doing the right thing by a player, um, or whatever. There, there's a balancing act here, right? That, that's right. difficult to yes. juggle. Uh, you know, <laughs> what's the right, there's so much about that Odell Baker situation. That's tricky. I mean, I think they did right by Odell because they just let him go. They could have held on to him, held him hostage. And some people might've, might've preferred that route. Um, but again, like, I think that they're, they're walking just a delicate line here of the perception of players. Either they, bring in in the draft or sign and thinking like, Oh, you know, I see what the Browns have done for certain players. I know I can get away with some bullshit here and there, not wanting to be that the status quo. So uh, I, I hope that they're, and I'm, I have no idea. I have no idea what they're saying to Perry on Winfrey or how they're holding anybody else accountable. No one does. You don't get the team rule book. We don't know, but it is just to me, at least something to, to think about as far as like interesting dynamics for this team and how they're building it. And, you know, smart, tough, accountable is great. <laughs> I think it's I think it's a great mantra. But when you do some of the roster decisions that they have done, I could see some players who are, you know, I think that there's nobody publicly out there against what happened with Watson from a player perspective. But behind closed doors, I could certainly see a player raising a concern, right? Like, hey, man, like we're really doing this type of thing back when they did it. So, again, just think there's elements to this that will never go public. We'll never know. But I, I certainly think it's interesting to at least discuss uh, how those ramifications trickle down from not the top of the roster, but down to the bottom and how guys buy into what you're trying to sell from a team building perspective. I agree, Jake. It's definitely a challenge for a team to deal with a situation like a Watson and trying to meld that into a slogan that you develop for your team and want them to follow. Um, that's probably been one of the biggest team challenges that Kevin has had since moving in this direction. You know, that's totally outside of the media and PR, you know, issues when it, when it came to bringing in a guy like Watson. Um, do I think that it bleeds over into other players? I think that, Ultimately, like a lot of these players understand packing orders, and um, I don't think that you know a long snapper 
you know, and I'm exaggerating, obviously. Uh, I don't think a long snapper expects to get the same treatment as a star quarterback. Um, I don't think a fifth linebacker expects that either, you know, and uh, I think that it's not a professional football thing. I think it goes all the way back to high school and that kind of stuff. So I'm not saying it's a good thing or a bad thing, but if somebody wants to ask me, do I think that it's going to affect this professional football team? I tend to think that's not the case. I mean, I hope so. I hope so. Cause I mean, I'm, I'm not even talking about, like I said, public facing, I'm not talking about that. I'm just saying, you know, you're in a meeting and they're talking about smart, tough, accountable, blah, blah, blah. And are you, are you leaning over to your buddy and saying, yeah, fuck this guy. Right. And, you know, like, can't believe they're still selling this when they've done X, Y, and Z. Right. Like, <laughs> it, 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 like that yeah. stuff is that. real. And, and you're trying to get one to 53 and a bunch of coaches and a bunch of people in the front office to buy into your vision. It's important to have everybody understand where you set boundaries on that vision. I think that that's kind of, again, that's out of the public eye. That's out of consumption for a lot of people. And the, and the way to prove it right or wrong is not always there. But it's just, again, an element of this whole thing that is worth monitoring to me. Because there's if we, if we look at what the undoing of this thing is, I don't think Kevin is a dumb offensive mind. I don't think Andrew Barry is uh, anything other than a very sharp young GM. But again, and I think Kevin is very level-headed. He's the way I want a head coach to be a lot of other parts of this I've, I've laid out but they could be guys without a job in 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 no no less than a year here i mean like not, not even a year like seven or eight months and like yep. if that happens to me i've said this before it's about their inability to get like they have the right plan in place like the smart tough accountable stuff and how they talk about these things i think it's all the right stuff but how do you execute it it's one thing to have a theory a motto an anger you take in your team building but execution of that motto is not easy and i think if they do fail their inability to get everybody on the same page to what their motto is to what they want to be will be ultimately the undoing because not having a guy bought in is the difference and again this is you could you could laugh this off but to me a guy not totally bought into your team building theory your your team slogan your smart tough account blah blah is the difference in missing a line call is the difference in a lot of different small things that don't always show up in a stat sheet, but are, you know, maybe they didn't put in the amount of time in the pregame study or they weren't focused when they needed to be focused during the week in practice. There's a lot of ways this manifests without being the way you might imagine it. And, and I think I'll that tell that's you, like, I do think that the Watson thing, I mean, they took body blows to their mottos, to their like yeah. way of doing business. Like, you know, like there is no part of me that would deny the fact that they took kidney shots for where they are now. So um, at this point, I think you're at a put up or shut up. They are. And the put up and shut up leans into the quarterback. <laughs> Ultimately, whether it Deshaun Watson gets back to 2020 version, it, it I think there's a lot of stuff that will be glossed over it just will because they'll be winning despite some other things and if he doesn't get back to 2020 and they've hitched their wagon to this again we've said it a million times this offseason now i don't think it's that much rocket science here they will probably be backs against the wall with an owner asking a ton of questions and maybe looking to be replaced so i i think at the core of their whole existence this um operation and being able to pull out getting everybody bought into the smart, tough, accountable thing and, and getting Watson to be the guy he used to be are the two biggest factors here. If they think if they get fired or they get removed down the line, those are the two biggest elements of the people like, well, why did Kevin Stefanski fail? Why did Andrew Berry fail? Those are the things that I will point to. So um, we'll see. We'll see, man. I, I think like, again, with the pairing on Winfrey discussion and all of that, I just kind of wanted to dive into like, this is how they handle some of this stuff with players uh, lack of you know uh, being on the right doing the right things and all of that how does it I just, I'm just curious of how that gets portrayed against some of the decisions they've made with their roster building because I think it's I think it's fascinating to to think about how they overcome right. I can't believe like the stipulations here of it feels different for this guy than this guy and I could see some players calling them out on that like like you know hey you guys have made some ports or whatever whatever I just think that that element is there so yeah man 
yeah, this is fun. Good episode, John. I appreciate you being here, man. Spending some time uh, with us when you're, you know, your time is valuable. You know, we appreciate that, buddy. I appreciate you having me on. Okay, that's a wrap for today. Thanks to John, like I said, taking his time. And if you have any Kansas City barbecue suggestions, you know what thread to hit up and um, who to follow because John can help you out with those. I can't help you. I, I will just uh, follow along for sheer curiosity's sake, uh, you know, love as a connoisseur of barbecue. But anyway, like I said, thanks to John for being here. Thanks to you guys for stopping by. Have a fantastic Friday. We'll be back tomorrow with a little franchise mode with Andrew Spade. So check that one out as well on your Saturday. Have a, have a good Friday, guys. Go Browns. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.